0: Steph. How's it going? It's good. Good. Everything's good. Made the transition from my job on inpatient to ambulatory outpatient infusion. I know,
1: just about to mention (laughs) you have some big news. I got my work wife back. (laughs) Uh, Leslie has joined us on chef 4 infusion Very, very excited. Started last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Wee! I can't even I <laughs> get word. We haven't even worked together yet, though. I know. <laughs> well, except for podcasts. Yeah, it's on vacation, and then my husband threw out his back. Yay! Oh Gosh, it's been, been 2020, keeps getting better. Yep. So we have a very back-to-the-basics interviews today. They're great, yeah. Really great. We have two, I guess three nurse clinicians. Three nurse clini- clinicians, an advanced practice nurse. Yes. Carrie Frederick. So Donna Fenway and Carrie Frederick from our wound team specialists are going to come talk to us about their role and our role as nurses and how we can best utilize them. They had some great things to share with us, um, some really great education moments. So yeah, that was that's awesome. And then we also have Valerie Adams. Right, our geriatric nurse clinician. Who also had some great uh, tips to share uh, and how we can best utilize her and all of the information about things that we can do as nurses
0: to really help help a patient's trajectory here at the hospital be hopefully shorter and more maybe pleasant almost. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the suggestions, honestly, were truly back to the basics, but they felt in that interview in some ways we were like right that's a really good suggestion we don't have to overthink it too
1: much and they're all nurse driven interventions which I think are great and things that we uh, know as nurses but maybe don't always focus on intentionally as much as we should right exactly our first interview is with
0: Donna and Carrie yep and then Valerie and then Valerie yeah so I hope
1: you guys enjoy like I said Get, there's a lot of great information out there. And let's, yeah. I hope you ever, I hope everyone is enjoying this almost now fall season. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. That was a little, access. I know. Do, are we happy about that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hope all is well out there. Hi. Oi. <laughs> so how are you guys? Good, good. you? Yeah? We're good. Yeah, so welcome to the. The podcast recording. We were just talking about how we. I did a sunrise hike this morning for the first time. So oh, that must have been nice. It was nice, yeah. But I got up at like 3 in the morning, which I haven't done in since I had babies. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we could start
0: with, really, we get the idea of what a wound care nurse is. But why don't you guys talk to us a little bit about how you... Define your role in the hospital and how you feel like you fit in with inpatient nursing care in the hospital.
2: Okay, so you want our background first? Yeah, sure. yeah. All right, I'll start, and then Carrie can do hers. Basically, I've been working here at the hospital since uh, nineteen seventy nine. Started I feel like out
1: housekeeping. Very keeping. famous, Donna. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows who Donna Benway is. <laughs> yeah.
2: Started out in housekeeping, kind of worked my way up to an RN. I I think it was like uh, ten or eleven years ago. When I started in wound care with Cindy Whitehead, just helping her oh, out because yeah. she was by herself. And then I eventually took over the whole wound care program. And so I, my, I was supposed to be focusing on directly on pressure ulcer prevention, but all the other wounds kind of creeped into it, so I do all inpatient wounds for now. We also do, because we work under nursing, we do all the education with the RNs, LNAs. We do students from UVM, Norwich. BTC, place out carry. Those are probably yeah. the three things that, yeah, the three areas, the three schools that we work with, anyways. We just basically get consulted to go out there and see the wounds. We work very closely with the nurses. We see the patients. We decide on a treatment plan. We go back and follow up with those patients, depending on how bad the wounds are. It could be a couple times a week. It could be every day. It could be once a week, depending on the wound, and we see them until either the wound heals. The patient is deceased, or they're discharged home.
1: It's a huge job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I really, and we can get to Carrie. I really like the fact that nurses can put in the consult for wound care.
2: That's absolutely. a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Carrie was hired to join me only because it, w- it was rough. I had the whole hospital. Yeah. And- yeah no kidding. <laughs> I had been begging for Carrie for quite some time, and and when she, we decided we were going to get another wound care nurse and Carrie applied. We thought this is perfect because Carrie was a nurse practitioner and I'll let you tell her story.
1: Yeah, tell us about yourself.
3: So I um, graduated from UVM and started working as an RN over on inpatient rehab. So I was there, but I was always interested in wounds. I did my senior practicum in my undergrad um, with a wound care nurse. So I was very interested from the get-go, wanting to solely focus on wounds went and got my master's, and became an NP, and then became wound certified with that, and I actually got She's an
2: overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> That's I actually
0: good to
2: have landed, for a sidekick. You
1: yes. want
3: an over-achieving side. sidekick? <laughs> 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 I landed a great
0: opportunity
3: actually over at CBPH. They have an outpatient wound care center. It's the Ooh. only one in the network really fully focused on wounds. So they're a hyperbaric center as well. So we had hyper two hyperbaric chambers over there and had a you know, reached a broad area of patients. They came from about three hours away all over up, upstate New York. We even had patients from Vermont come in. I was mostly outpatient over there and then had some inpatient work like half day a week just for continuity of care when we had outpatients, transition, inpatient. So I followed patients while they're outpatient and inpatient. But I was commuting to work from Vermont, so I knew that was not going to be my place lifelong and then there was a great opening at UVM and I knew I wanted to come back. Get to work with Donna every day, which is great. And I don't know how she did this by herself. Sarah, <laughs> one person for this <laughs> whole hospital. <laughs> it's insane. It really is. So it's great to have two people. We really work well together and it's nice to have a team to have two sets of eyes, you know, and two brains to put together for these wounds. So I think it's Absolutely. working really well.
2: And, and Carrie brought in just a wealth of knowledge. From working in the clinic because you know as a wound care nurse on an inpatient i could often develop a treatment plan for the wounds but never see them to the end because the patients got discharged where carrie did so she knew what dressings worked what didn't what work best so it's just a great wealth of knowledge to have her you know as an addition to the team it really has been so i think we're doing Doing, we're doing good work for the patients.
1: And how how can nurses, floor nurses and how can they utilize you most Best. efficiently?
2: Yep. Well, just basically read our notes and follow our our suggestions for a treatment plan. Yeah. You know, and if they have the the, the wounds get worse, they can uh, call us, page us, reconsult us, we'll go back up, put our heads together. We're working very closely with the nurses right now trying to do a whole education plan. We have developed six modules that we're trying to roll out to every nurse within the inpatient world as as well as the um, intensive care unit. And I'm working closely with the inpatient world with these six modules we're trying to develop C CEs mm-hmm. right now to give them oh, just to manners. make it a little bit more appealing for them to come in and sit with me and chit chat but we're talking about moisture positioning mm-hmm. skin tears pressure ulcers the specialty beds just a lot of different things to help the patient or the nurses develop that knowledge base to mm-hmm. take care of the patients properly And Carrie's doing a whole different thing within the intensive care unit. I'll let you let her talk about it. Oh, yeah,
3: tell us. Education with the ICUs as well, but it's kind of tailored to their population. I'm working closely with their CLM teams to work on getting their pressure injury rate lower. And the ICU population obviously is highly prone to pressure injuries and tend to be higher than any other inpatient unit anyway, but we're really working towards setting a pressure injury bundle into place. So we're working on developing that with both CLM teams for the sick and the MICU, and hopefully we'll be rolling that out, trialing that, and it could potentially be something we bring hospital-wide to help reduce our pressure injury rate. So we're really focused on, you know, the ICUs and the skincare there, so we can hopefully get these numbers down.
0: And what do you guys see as the best way to prevent pressure injuries in patients that are prone to that from being in the hospital like we I think we have we, we have a sense of what that is but it's always great for you guys to bullet point it for us and tell us what you think are the like top three things that, that nurses can do to help prevent it
3: The biggest thing, and it's so basic turning, 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 turning. I mean, it's something you learn in nursing school. It never changes. They're never going to not be a need to turn your patients, but it's something that's like not really glamorous or glorified. There's no techie way to attach something fun to turning and repositioning. You know, it's just really, really the standard of really. Providing a good quality turn because a lot of our pillows are flat as pancakes. You put one pillow under their shoulder That's not really offloading to their sacrum and their coccyx So really doing a great full turn to float the bony prominences And then the other big thing is moisture management I think we forget about the skin and tend to only pay attention when there's an issue with it when we have you know some incontinent associated dermatitis or breakdown and that puts patients more prone to developing a pressure injury so good quality moisture management skin care and
2: turning so the two things with that as part of that education that we're doing with the modules is to to teach them proper positioning to teach them to think about the pelvis and to roll the whole pelvis not just the hip Yeah. because especially if you have a, a morbidly obese patient if you just grab that hip and you pull it up and you stuff a pillow in there, you haven't actually moved the pelvis. You haven't turned it up, so they're still sitting on that bony Mm prominence. And the other thing is we have our Depends use is out of control here at the hospital. Okay. 69,000 Depends used last year. What? Wow. Yeah. Wow. And the the trouble with using a Depends is they throw Depends on everybody who's incontinence, but what it does is it changes the pH of the skin, and it puts the skin more at risk for developing fungal and bacterial bacterial and stuff like that. And they start breaking down, which puts them even at more at risk for developing a pressure ulcer. So we feel that if we really look at the moisture and positioning, that we're going to decrease a lot of those nosocomial pressure ulcers as well.
1: So do you think we should not be putting that depends on the patient and just having them like how, what is that? What is the role of
2: the depends? And your what is the best rule? Depends should only be used if the patient is out of bed, sitting in a recliner, okay. off the unit for procedures, if they're incontinent, and in the halls with physical therapy or, or with nursing. Okay. Outside of that, they really should not have a Depends on. The LNAs and the nurses should be doing frequent incontinence checks and cleaning the patients up nice. and changing the chucks and stuff like that. Now, that being said, if you have an elderly patient who's been wearing their pull-ups for years, then go ahead and continue using those just to do more frequent incontinence checks. So they're not sitting in a soil diaper.
0: Because I always, this is a great conversation because I always understood that depends actually wick the moisture away from the skin. But what you guys are saying is actually it changes the pH of the skin, making it more prone to yeast or even perhaps excoriation and breakdown. Whereas I thought it actually pulled moisture and kept it, more intact. They're not,
2: they're not like Pampers. Okay. <laughs> no, the, the Pampers, the um the kids can pee gallons of water and it does wick it away and they right. just keep blowing up and but the, the pens are not like that. Yep. And I was told the reason why is because to make a the pens that wick like a pamper would be too expensive and nobody would bother buy them. Yeah. So they're really not as they don't wick away like a, a pamper does.
3: Okay. So. And they're occlusive, so you're trapping all that moisture and, and then, the urine in the stool, which has a different pH than your skin, against the skin, which erodes you know, the tissue there, and then it makes it more susceptible, susceptible to breaking down. So the actual like disposable cloth chucks that we have really work better at wicking the moisture away from the skin whereas the you know occlusive brief just keeps all that moisture and heat so you're changing the microclimate of the skin Mm -hmm. and changing the ph to a more alkaline Mm -hmm. ph which prevents your skin from doing its natural ability to kind of prevent moisture management on its own it increases the transepidermal water loss it changes that so it's really a lot of anatomical and you know pathophysiology stuff going on when we're just throwing a depends on their incontinent they sit in that so our skin loses all its
0: ability to kind of protect itself from you know moisture well that's a this is a really important conversation because i think there's some misunderstanding around depend use again so your recommendations are if they're incontinent and going to a procedure incontinent and walking in the hallways and incontinent and up in their chair are the Mm -hmm. best times to use the depends
3: right
1: but just
0: really is really
3: not where you want they should be open
1: and free
0: Right, and
3: proactive toileting is something I think you know. Even if a person is incontinent, you can still bring them to the bathroom every couple hours, and they could potentially be more continent than they would be if we're just letting them be incontinent. But you know,
2: so I think it's like you don't wait for them to go to the bathroom and then put them on. You you encourage them. You ask them, do you get a pee? Put them on after lunches. Right. You know, things like that after they eat and stuff.
1: It's interesting because we just talked to the geriatric nurse clinician, and she was saying the same thing. If you want to prevent falls. You need to be proactively toileting you know having your patients toilets not that we forget that but it's just like to prioritize it there's a
0: reason those basics are super important yeah and really
1: important part
0: of good nursing care
1: and i feel like it needs you know you you need to like make a billboard with all (laughs) for everybody (laughs) 11
2: years ago when i first started i did actually make poster boards that i used to hang over the all over the place And that's when we got um, the biggest education uh, with the inpatient nurses, and we had dropped our pressure ulcer rate by 60%. Jeez.
1: So how are we doing as an organization with the pressure ulcers right now?
2: We're up. Yeah, we're up. We had like around 100 last year. I think nationally, we're not as bad as some of the hospitals, but compared to what we've done in the past, we definitely have seen an increase in our pressure ulcer rates.
1: And do you th- is there anything that you ha- guys can pinpoint to that reason reason or that we could be doing you know obviously we just are talking about things we can be doing better but
2: well yeah I think everything's playing a role you know new hires new nurses just the education piece when I was by myself for uh, quite a few years when uh, Cindy Way had stopped helping with the uh, wound care. And before Carrie came, there was just no time for education. Yeah, you know, I was just seeing patients and keeping my head above water. Now that Carrie's here, we're going to go back out there on the floors and do this education. And I'm hoping that alone will drop the pressure ulcer rate down. At one point, we thought it was mattresses, and we did a complete review. Oh, I remember that. I do, too. (laughs) Yeah, on every single bed. That didn't seem to change things. So, yeah, I think a lot is going to be education. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, it's so it's definitely interesting. And I feel like it is 100% a big part of helping people heal well in the hospital, which is the prevention of get get, not sending them home with something they didn't come in with.
2: (laughs) And now, as you guys know, we have the CLM groups that they're forming, uh, yeah. patient safety. We're working very closely with them, and we have Dr. Tandell, Carrie and I, and then we have the specialty groups. There's the CML teams on every single unit, and we're meeting on a regular basis and pushing forward with uh, education and looking what's happening on every single unit and why it's happening. One of the things we had was an increase in device-related pressure ulcers, and okay. we didn't know that why that was happening, and Carrie did a little... Uh, Little research on on that, and came up with some criteria for nurses to follow for press, pressure related. You can talk to that, Carrie.
3: I think we just tend to forget under certain devices. I think we're pretty good about looking like under like cast and sort of everyday use, but like looking under the tape on an NG tube, looking mm-hmm. under oh, a trach yeah. flange. You know, just things that we're not used to doing a full skin check for. So, and also looking in our patients, especially in like the ICU population, where there's big fluid shifts in our patients, so they can get edemness quickly, and then that changes the pressure points or changes how tight that device is. So, we're working on creating, you know, outline guidelines for how often things should be moved, who's responsible for moving it, how often you need to check, you know, under these devices, and there's some guidelines we put in place um, for that, just for specifically device related pressure injuries
0: that's interesting I was wondering why dr Tanda was on our floor the other day we had a pressure injury that she actually came and looked at and I was like why is she here
2: right Carrie was on vacation and whenever that patient had a, a heel pr- a pressure ulcer yep. that was unstageable so that's a root cause analysis right so we mm-hmm. have to have somebody from a nurse practitioner up look at it and yep. confirm what it is and so that Carrie wasn't here so dr Canndall did it for me
1: oh, okay yep so, yep. who, again, I, you might have mentioned this, but I, I missed it. Who is on your CLM team? Oh, yeah. <laughs> am, I, am I putting you on the spot?
4: <laughs>
2: yes, we have so there's dr candel and then there's carrie and i then it goes down to my specialty skin team which i have um lna's and rn's from every single unit because of covid we haven't been able to meet lately yeah. i'm i can't wait to get back in with yeah. them and we've been training them about wound care they're also going to be doing chart reviews peer okay. chart reviews and um, things like that then on every single unit there's uh rn4 Champion RN, RN4, um, a staff nurse, a staff LNA, a resident, and an attending, That along with somebody from safety, form their group. And they have meetings separate from my specialty group. So they do, they monitor daily rounds, safety huddles, hands-off, uh, data management. They're the ones that push out. Like if they have, yep. um, find that their unit is getting a lot of pressure ulcers, they, they're the ones that would handle that. And, you know, come up with a plan to make it better. Unit champion audits, safety and faculty meetings, collaborative leadership report out. So it's it's a huge, a lot of people. So there's a lot of things coming down. Unfortunately, it really got put on hold because right. of COVID. Right. COVID just put the brakes on on everything, and we're just starting to ramp things back up now. Yeah, and I know the, the meetings that we have, PM Stevens runs them, Sue Murdoch's a part of it. Gil Allen. Yep. He's on it. Barb Higginbottoms. We got a lot of um, managers that sit on it. Nurse educators.
1: Well, we appreciate you guys so much. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I guess
0: we'll just wait for your rollout of more education.
2: All righty. <laughs> and maybe this
0: podcast will help reduce in some way some of the pre- coming, you know, the pressure ul- ulcer potential <laughs> oh, that, would be wonderful.
2: that would be wonderful
1: it would be we appreciate your time
2: okay thank guys you. appreciate yeah, it
1: thank you guys have a nice so weekend much. yeah take care bye all right well welcome valerie nice Thanks to welcome. have you <laughs>
0: having me yeah, absolutely i think we first met valerie when we were working to place a patient that we all really loved on our floor and you came up and gave us a couple really good ideas about helping to manage her in a way that got her really good placement outside of the hospital. I believe that was the first yeah. time we ever met. Yeah. <laughs> so that actually was really a successful experience.
4: <laughs> Wonderful collaborating with you yeah, guys. Yeah, it really
0: worked. Yeah, and we've, and we've employed that method since, which I guess I should elaborate on a little bit, which was we had a patient that needed a one-to-one sitter which precludes people from sometimes being able to get placement outside of the hospital in skilled nursing facilities. We came up with a plan to sort of titrate down on that one-to-one sitter while still completely supporting the patient. And we were able to do that successfully and within a week, get her placement. That's awesome. And it was really amazing. I think maybe you might want to describe what you do. Yeah,
1: (laughs) why don't you introduce yourself, Valerie?
0: (laughs) So I'm
4: Valerie Adams. I'm the geriatric nurse clinician. And I have been in this role since February.
1: Oh my! Goodness. I was just
4: getting my feet wet before COVID hit, but I've been in the organization since 2007. I was a night shift nurse on Baird Four, oh. general medicine, for almost nine years before I transitioned into the care coordinator role on Baird Four, and I was in that for many years. Then the opportunity to become the geriatric clinician, a role that I have always wanted to do and always uh, had a special place in my heart for was available, and here I am.
1: <laughs> so tell yeah, us sure. what the geriatric nurse clinician, what that actually means and what that role is. So I am in the nursing
4: outcomes and practice of the organization under sumer Dawkins. what we really focus on are really improving the patient outcomes for our patients. And the top two things that I really focus on is delirium prevention and management. Mm -hmm. and fall prevention and management. I collect data mostly on falls. I'd like to collect a little bit more data in the future. One of my projects that I want to do on delirium, really focusing on delirium prevention and fall prevention, because those are two big things that can really increase cost for a patient's stay, and it also... Poor outcomes, meaning increase in death, mortality, morbidity, all those sort of things. Patients end up in subacute rehabs and nursing homes versus being able to go back home, previous living situations. Those are the things that I mostly focus on.
1: And do you focus on going throughout the hospital with this role? or is are you primarily on Baird 4? How does that work?
4: Yeah, so I can see patients throughout the hospital. So I do focus the majority of my patients that I see are on medicine units, Baird 3, Baird 4, McClure 6 and Miller 5, but I do see patients on other units too, sometimes the surgical units. There's a lot of delirium post-surgical. I often will go up and see those patients too and make recommendations to nursing and physicians. And how are you consultants? Right now, I'm working with Epic right now to get a kind of a report uh, driven through Epic, but that should be coming back online pretty shortly. And that's driven through the delirium prevention protocol order that you might see on your order sets. And that. Bags to a list for me so that I pull that in the morning and go through that and see who's appropriate for a consult. And then I also review the constant ops list. If there's an order for a constant observer, I will see that patient most likely if it's appropriate.
0: So how can we use you as floor nurses in the hospital? How do we best how do we best use you? Yeah, so I think that you guys can best use me by
4: for one reaching out to me, I'm always available. I, I'm in the paging system, my pager is 5509. You can always page me through pass if you guys ever have any questions or concerns. Say you're stumped, maybe you've put as many interventions that you, you know of in place and you're still having a hard time keeping a patient safe from a fall, you want to move them past that one to one, or you don't want to implement the one to one, you know, you can always reach me out, out to me. Getting me through pass. Delirium prevention protocol is a good way of getting in touch with me if it's like an off shift over the weekend, because I'll see that. I should pull that up for you guys real quick, because there's a list of specific criteria for the delirium prevention protocol. It's for patients that are over the age of 70. They have a cognitive deficit, so they already have a dementia or they have Parkinson's or like a TBI or something like that. They have sensory deprivation, so they wear glasses or hearing aids. Okay, so patients that are 70 or older with at least one risk factor for cognitive decline. So they have already a cognitive impairment. They have mobility or ADL impairment. They have sensory impairment, or they come with dehydration. And there's also some exclusion criteria, and I'm not going to list that off to you guys.
1: Do you just need one of those as a criteria, or do you need all of them? One. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 70
4: and older are including and including one of those things. Okay, gotcha. But most of the time a lot of people have multiples.
1: So we talked a little bit about those patient outcomes and uh, what you were focusing on. Can you just talk a little bit more about those?
4: Yeah, so when I go in and assess a patient, I'm mostly focusing on things that are really specific to the geriatric patient. The term is spices. I'm looking at how are they sleeping? How are they eating? Are they incontinent? Are they confused? What's their falls How, do they have they had any falls? What's their fall risk and what is their skin? So these are things that have been shown to improve patient outcomes and okay. when it's developed put into a daily plan of care for a, for a geriatric patient to identify if there's areas where we can incorporate things into their plans. I saw a patient who you know reported struggling to sleep and so what are we doing here in the hospital to help promote sleep? are they incontinent? Well, are they incontinent because we're not getting to them in time and they're not notifying us? You know, maybe there's that sense of urgency and we just don't get there in time, but they know they still have to go then okay well we want to promote continence because in general that's going to help with feeling of pride not embarrassment it helps decrease your fall risk because your majority of the patients who fall it's relating to needing to get up to the bathroom i'm going to put them on i'm going to partner with my lna say hey this patient needs to be on a toileting toileting schedule we're going to be proactive with our toileting every couple hours we're going to say hey mr jones it's time to get up to the bathroom you haven't gone in a while how about you come with me not go up to the patient and say, Hey, do you have to go to the bathroom? Does the patient say, No, I don't need to go. And then five minutes later, they're on their call bell saying, I got to go to the bathroom. Right, right. It's that proactive toileting. It's time to go to the bathroom.
0: I agree with that. I think that that's a great thing to employ in a lot of ways. Skin, for example, older patients I've found tend to not want to bathe. I think it's important to do that once or twice a week, but you don't say, do you want to take a shower you say it's our day or it's time to take a shower let's take a shower and lotion our skin right i think it's all in how you present it and then follow through with it
4: proactive got to be yeah. proactive as part of the plan of the day and you can you can prep that with at the beginning of the shift with them. You can say you struggle with your urgency to get up to the toilet. I'm going to be giving you your Lasix this morning. We want to make sure that you get to the toilet in time and don't have any accidents. So we're going to be rounding this many times this morning with you so that you can get to the toilet in time so we don't have
1: any accidents.
4: I look at all those types of things, and then I, I write out my plan of care in my note. Usually we'll put in some nursing orders and update the plan the care plan. How many people do you see in a normal day? My consults take a little bit longer than, say, like Donna Benway or Carrie when they go around and check, you know, wounds and things like that. I tend to do a full chart review, so not just a chart review of the current inpatient stay. If they're part of our network, I'll look back at their primary care physician's notes. I'll look to see if they're seen by the memory care unit or, you know, any sort of Background or history, any previous admissions? What did they look like then? Especially if there's no family present, where have they traveled? What is their trajectory? What have I? What are we seeing over a period of time? Right. Um, I do a full chart review of their med rec so that I can see what kind of medications are on. Does that put them at any risk for delirium or falls? I do a full. I look at their nutritional status. I look at their electrolytes. I, I kind of do a, a full chart review. So that takes me a long time, thirty-five minutes to an hour and a half sometimes.
0: You want any clue from their chart that's going to make your plan successful. You want to use everything you can glean from their chart to make like a successful plan moving forward for them.
4: Yeah, because we're basing this off an individualized plan of care. Right. Um, The most successful plan, especially surrounding dementia, is an individualized plan of care.
1: Yeah, it's a that's a <laughs> it's a big job, big job. <laughs> have you noticed any changes now? We had that long period of time when there weren't any visitors, and you know we have been so focused on family centered care, and then COVID kind of we had to take a step back from that. And did you notice any changes with the geriatric population with that? Well, there's a lot of people struggling with isolation. I
4: participated in a webinar with the American Geriatric Society, and they through their help the Hospitalized Elder Life Program. They did a COVID update, and one of the things was the biggest risk factor is COVID and isolation. Being able to battle the isolation is, is one of the biggest. Yes, we're battling a virus, but we also need to battle the, the isolation that these folks are in and it's wonderful to have family members back at the bedside. It gives me so much more information. Yes, I can make a phone call and yes I can have a conversation on the phone, but it's just so different having somebody seeing with you what you're seeing.
1: Yeah. It's another advocate for the patient too, you know, and and noticing small changes quicker uh, when, right. you're, when you have that person that knows them so well. Cause right. you know, I think as nurses, we can know certain things to look for. You know, there's certain things that people that change that we don't always notice because we don't know that person pers- personally.
4: This is what we've been noticing at home, yeah. even though they right. maybe didn't mention it. Well, yeah, that's not such a big deal. Well, dad, it kind of is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Having family members back at the bedside, Teaching families about how to, to work with people that are incontinent keeps them from sort of bouncing back and keeps caregivers from burning out. I think that's also an important piece of once you get home, here's how you can avoid incontinence at home as well. I
4: mean, that's like one of the biggest things.
0: I, I And I don't like to
4: compare. This is the easiest thing for most people to understand, toddlers to an older adult. When you have a toddler that you're potty training, what do you do? You put them on a toileting schedule. You say, it's time to sit on the toilet, right? And we keep coming back to toileting, but it's so important. It's time to go to the bathroom. Most people, when they say, I say, well, do you? if you sit on the toilet, are you able to avoid spontaneously? Yes. I said, how frequently are you getting up to the toilet to go to the bathroom? Well, I don't know, like three times a day. Have you tried going to the toilet more frequently? Is there anything that precludes you from being able to do that? Are you in pain, you know, mobility, shortness of breath, that sort of stuff? And often people like, "Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. I just throw on my depends and I I get wet and whatever." And it's like, but when you make you make the suggestion that, "Hey, there's a different maybe path that you can do." Oh, yeah, that makes
1: sense. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. It's just kind of like changing that, that frame of mind a little bit. So talk to us about the Geriatric Consult Service, what it is yeah. and how it's serving the patients.
4: The Geriatric Consult Service has been an idea for a long time in this organization, never really got off the ground. Dr. Amy Janieri was kind of like the spearheader of this, and she sees patients, in the outpatient world, she also is in the nursing home setting, but she's also part of the teaching service within UVM Medical School. She wanted to develop a team that consults on patients who are at risk in the hospital. So the purpose would be to work with the primary team to manage, treat acute conditions, and return the patient to their prior level of function, with the goal to reduce and prevent hospitalization-related complications, such as delirium and falls including functional decline and, um, and poor nutrition. So it's it's a teaching service. It's wonderful because they really want to include not just the residents, which, which you often think of in a medical consult service is just teaching uh, medical residents, but they really want to include nursing as well, case management, nursing leaders on on teams. They're reaching out to the CLM teams to help with quality improvement projects. So it's really wonderful. We're going to be seeing three to four patients a day, be teaching rounds, and they're going to be providing recommendations to help manage polypharmacy, evaluate functional changes, cognitive status, goals of care, end-of-life
0: discussions,
4: those types of things.
1: Oh, that sounds great. Right now, I could
0: be seeing a patient and put in a consult for Donna Benway needing to come see the patient. Is that ever? Do you do you ever foresee that being something that is a nursing order for us to put in to have in the order so everybody's aware that we could say we need a a geriatric nurse consult for this patient?
4: Yeah. So actually, I was just talking to Donna Pepin in Epic about this. So she's the one that's helping me get my delirium prevention protocol order report back up online and a lot of conversation about how you work my workflow and how do I manage the list because it gets pretty lengthy. And I said, you know, it's interesting because it it is kind of like a consult order for me, but it doesn't read as a consult order. Right. When Donna gets a a consult for wound care, she hits complete and it goes away off of the orders management. But I don't want to complete it because I want it to be the forefront of nursing when they're reviewing orders that this is something that you need to be thinking about. No, there is nothing in Epic right now that specifically calls it out as a geriatric nurse consult. And prevention protocol order is basically my consult order. But for the medical consult. That's a billable service, so they're going right. to be getting be able to bill for that. So I don't think nursing is going to be able to consult for that. I drive the consults and the patients. The plan is that I'm going to be driving patients. The residents are going to go and see basically. Okay. I'll be helping identify those patients. That's great. And it's only going to be currently focused. So we're starting September 28th. That's our start week. We're focusing currently only on Baird three and Baird four within. Intent of get a new service up and up and running, and managing our expectations, and also that it's focusing just on one physician team, so the hospitalist teams. There's been a lot of conversation about wanting to incorporate other teams, like surgery teams and such, but that's going to need buy-in from those from those teams yep. up to develop relationships with in the future, and it's going to be limited because there's only one attending on limited residents and that sort of thing. We would love to grow it, but we want to get
1: it small off the ground first. You yeah. want to
0: do it right and then be able to say, look how beautiful this
2: works. Right. Exactly. right. Beautifully, <laughs> beautifully this
1: works. Work out the kinks and then, you know, expand yeah. it as it And then ground. sell it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I, for one, am um, so grateful that we have nurse clinicians and that we have you, Me Valerie, as a expert in this because, you know, it, there's so many things that as nurses we do and it's hard to always, you know, have all of these tools or know all the things to do all of the time. And so being able to have somebody like you that really can focus on on those things that we might be missing, which will then help to improve that patient's visit, help to improve the outcomes of that patient is is so important. So we're grateful that you are here.
0: And like I mentioned at the beginning of this, what you taught me, what you were able to come in and teach me really quickly has been useful for me over and over again. So that's what like what Steph was saying. It's like it's great to have experts in areas that can come in and say, here's some practical things you can do to help prevent some falls or delirium in this particular patient. And then you can go back out again and I can employ them. And it's that is such a beautiful thing about inter disciplinary working with nursing. I love it. What I truly, what
4: I think is like the true magic of the flex things that I I recommend, these are very basic nurse-driven and that's wonderful, these are nurse-driven things. We have control over them, and they are in our own practice, even though sometimes they feel really simple and maybe not as the most important things on compared to the respiratory distress that I have down here. These are really simple things that we can do to really drive better outcomes for our patients that really matter to patients. Falls is the leading cause of injury and death in older adults the leading cause. If we can prevent falls in our patients, the magnitude that that puts on that patient, that I, I now can go back home and be in my, my home, maybe some extra support, but it's still my own home. I don't have to go to a nursing home right. and be away from my family in these COVID times where I have to be quarantined for two wow. weeks and all these sort of things. How much things cost and how much healthcare costs? Well, the, from the CDC, in 2015, the total medical cost for falls totaled more than 50 billion dollars 50 wow. billion wow. all in general you know there was a chunk of it in the hospital too
1: no i think what you're saying is so important like i yep. know even it's and it's gotten even more important with covid like we were talking my talking about my grandfather and i was like oh he might need an assisted living situation and my mom's like yeah but if he goes there then we can't visit him and so like employing these strategies to help support these patients is so important to the Sorry. families and and that's even even has grown in importance as as, as, as COVID has so it's as a, yeah so yeah well, so thank we, you so much yeah
0: thank you so much valerie
1: that all you guys need
0: from me yeah yeah <laughs> well i mean here we have a lot of stuff for you to do outside of this interview yes <laughs> <laughs>
4: people want to get more information about um, geriatrics, in the end, and hopefully in 2021, I'll be able to start doing my geriatric specialty nurse classes again. Oh, yeah. Um, And so that is a great opportunity to learn more, and those will hopefully be able to be in person or modified. I'm not quite sure. I have to figure it out still. Also, it gives you plenty of hours if you ever want to seek out to be certified in gerontology through the ANCC. That's such a wonderful thing. And I can get you guys connected to NICH, which is Nurses Improving Care for Health System Elders, which has so many resources that you can learn from, from orthopedics to oncology. There's a whole section on oncology in the elder patient. There's a lot there and I, I can hook you guys up.
1: Oh, that oh sounds I love so that. Fantastic. That's awesome. I don't want to volunteer you, but <laughs> are you okay if people reach out to you for those resources and things? Cause I think we're interested and I'm sure there's other people out there that would be that interested. That'll want to reach out. Yeah,
4: for sure. You guys can touch base with your nurse educators. They can reach out to me, email. I'm yeah. in that look.
1: <laughs> you are. <Perfect. laughs> awesome. Well, thanks Valerie. Appreciate it. Thanks Valerie. One,
0: two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Shlemium, Shlemazo,
3: Hosted Femme Incorporated. <laughs>